Hi, I'm Sarah Indyke, and I'm a first-year service member with AmeriCorps, and I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Healthy Minds Alliance is an innovative AmeriCorps program managed by Health360 that engages AmeriCorps members of all ages and backgrounds to meet critical mental health needs in communities served by their host sites. AmeriCorps members serving with the Healthy Minds Alliance receive a stipend during their 10-month service term and upon completion of their service term, receive an education award which can be used to repay qualified student loans and to pay current educational expenses at eligible institutions of higher education and training programs. If you're interested in becoming an AmeriCorps member or would like information on how your organization could become a host site, please see our show notes for information on how to apply. Welcome, current, former, future AmeriCorps service members. My name is Michael, and I will be your host for today's Healthy Minds Alliance podcast. And I'm also a currently serving AmeriCorps member. Joining me today is Sarah, who is a current AmeriCorps service member serving with Squirrel Hill Health Center in Pittsburgh. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing very, very well, actually. Um, we're, I work at a school. My, my service is at a school, so we got basically like a week left before winter break, and we're all just sort of counting down the days, kind of getting in the holiday festive spirit. So how about you? Uh, I'm doing okay. I've had a couple rough weeks, just been very busy with trying to finish up stuff before the new year comes. So mm. it's definitely been hectic, but Thursday and Friday are my more relaxed days. So nice. I'm feeling a lot better today. Fantastic. And again, appreciate you giving me some of your time today. So if anyone who is listening, you know, you kind of know how things work here. We're going to start things off the way we always do. I just want you to tell me a little bit more about yourself. Who is Sarah? Feel free to include things about like what you do with your service or your personal life, just whatever you feel like sharing with strangers on the internet. Yeah, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm from um, one of the more prominent areas during the steel mill like era of Pittsburgh, which it no longer has a mill here, but that's kind of like where I'm located in Pittsburgh. I did just go to Temple University in Philadelphia for about four years for my undergrad in psychology. Um, So I actually took this specific job to get back into Pittsburgh because I had been in Philly for so long and I was like let me just go back home Um, (laughs) and it was much easier navigating everything like with a car and you know being near my family um, which Mm -hmm. is ultimately why I chose this job at first before I really knew what it was about. And that's one of the, you know, one of my next questions is always like, how did you end up becoming an AmeriCorps service member? And so you mentioned there, there was some intention behind it that this would allow you to get back closer to home. But how did you even learn about the position? Like, is it somebody, someone you knew? Was it just like a computer search? Like, how did you get to that point? All I know is that I had been applying to a lot of jobs. I was about to graduate. I was like super stressed. Everything feels like the end of the world, like whenever you're about to graduate. And I remember I applied to like 80 different jobs, was doing a bunch of interviews. And finally, I think I was actually on a volunteer website because I was trying to find some volunteer work as well. And for some reason, this had popped up. I don't know if it was like a a keyword I had used, but Mm -hmm. I had seen something regarding AmeriCorps and then looked into it more and saw like kind of what this was about. And I had done mental health uh, first aid in a prior job. So I do QPR now. Um, which okay. is the suicide prevention training. And I had done mental health first aid in my internship I had going into my senior year. So I was pretty familiar with, you know, how those are structured and how they do them. I actually helped do those certain trainings uh, for the company I worked at. So I felt pretty comfortable with that role. But I also saw that my specific location 
really worked with a lot of um, people who weren't proficient in English. Um, mm -hmm. We worked with a lot of different migrants or people who were coming into the country or different cultural um, organizations, which was something that was really important to me. Um, in Philadelphia, I worked for a nonprofit and I got to work with the kids from Philly. So it felt great to kind of be in a more diverse location. And, you know, my schooling before university was not very diverse. Um, and that's mm -hmm. something I care a lot about. So I wanted to make sure I was staying in a population that was like that. And this really had that to offer. Plus, it had a lot of things I just wasn't familiar with and I wanted to get to know. So I really like the job description. Um, but I still was not even sure what AmeriCorps was at first. I had heard about it. And like, obviously, like, like other things like Peace Corps, and you always hear about these things. And I'm like, yeah, I know what it is, kind of. But um, right. yeah, so that's kind of how I found it. So uh, I kind of want to jump around a little bit because you've mentioned QPR training. And I think some other people in the past have talked a little bit about that. Uh, for me, I did the youth mental health first aid, which obviously suicide like awareness and prevention is like a part of it. You know, it's yeah. one piece of the part that we talk about. So uh, if you don't mind, share a little bit, like, what does QPR look like, like actually in a class? Like, how long does it take? Like, what sort of topics? Like, in a, you know, comparing it to what I do in youth mental health, mm -hmm. what are the big differences between those two types? Now, QPR is question, persuade, refer. Um, it is strictly just suicide prevention. It doesn't really go deep into any other topics. Um, I do tend to bring some stuff in because, like, I was a psychology major. So during my discussions, um, I will kind of bring up, you know, some statistics regarding, you know, People with this tend to have issues with suicide, so on and so forth. But it really is just about the suicidality and kind of how to intervene. Obviously, it's not a clinical training. We're not teaching people like how to save a life in the sense of like, oh, someone had done something and you, it's like emergency. It's more so what can we do every day to notice if a person is having like behavioral changes, if they might be suffering with something more, and also how do we get them comfortable with talking about suicide? I had worked in a lab position um, as a volunteer researcher during my undergrad work, and we did have to ask about suicide. So I became pretty comfortable with talking to mm -hmm. younger audiences about suicide. And it's, it's not funny, but it is a little odd whenever you leave that space of the psych world and then you go into your regular day and you're talking about these topics like oh, it's just normal to talk about this. And all of your friends are just kind of like, oh, like, I don't know right. if I want to hear that. But to me, it was very normal. Um, and I wanted to have, you know, a role in helping other people become comfortable talking about this, because that's how you lessen the impact of these mental health disorders. It's how you erase that stigma. And, you know, it's how we get people comfortable to even reach out if they're the ones experiencing it. So mm -hmm. that's probably like the major goal of mine while doing these trainings. They're only an hour long. Well, it can take a little bit longer than that, but we really advertise them as about an hour long. Um, we offer them online because a lot of our companies and groups that we work with, they just don't have the time to really like travel somewhere sure. or they're doing like they're they're just fitting me into one little spot in their day because they're very right. busy. Um, so it is a very accessible training, which I know from my experience with mental health first aid, I did the adult one. Um, and I know it was a very long training. I did a, a full day one, and then you have modules to do online as well. And it can be pretty difficult with the groups that we're working with because they tend to have a lot less time. We're working with community members too, who aren't very good at you know accessing um, computers or resources mm -hmm. like that, where this has been very useful for our specific community. So yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It definitely is a bit different from mental health first aid. And I had to get used to that because I was mm -hmm. very used to talking about so many different disorders where now it was like really a focus on this. So 
yeah, that's probably like the biggest difference between the two. All right. And so just to clarify, so you can, you are, your service is at Squirrel Hill Health Center uh, in Pittsburgh. And so part of your service there is to facilitate these QPR trainings. So are you like going out and like trying to find people or are they coming, are groups coming to Squirrel Hill and said, Hey, we would like this training. And then you get brought in like, like logistically, what does that look like? If you don't mind sharing. It has been a little bit of both. I've been pretty fortunate that so we are a federally qualified health center. Um, so we work with a lot of different organizations. Uh, we get a lot of people who are directly coming from other countries and we're serving them. It's an um, integrated care model. So we're reaching them at a lot of different levels. We do dental, we do, or they do dental, they do like medical care, and they also do mental health care. So I'm technically part of the behavioral health team and I help them with day-to-day tasks, but mainly I do the QPR stuff. And it's been pretty great because I work with a lot of social workers. I work with a lot of counselors, LPCs, psychiatrists, even where they kind of have those contacts. Now, I don't think that they had done a service member here for about over a year. So they had had some old contacts, but I also found a lot of new organizations, um, which has been pretty great. And, you know, there are a lot of I've been focusing a bit more on younger populations because in Philadelphia, my jobs, I had worked with adolescents. And, you know, that tends to be a group that people overlook. And I wanted to make sure that I was also focusing on schools and other types of orgs that mainly focus on that younger population. And that has been a pretty crucial aspect of this training recently where people reaching out to me, they actually want to have these trainings to better mm-hmm. understand these populations because they're much more comfortable talking to adults versus the younger audiences. So, yeah, so it's kind of been a little bit of me expanding what they already had as their list. Um, So I've been pretty fortunate to also work with some really great new groups. And I worked with a group that I was a part of in Philadelphia, too, and kind of did that for some students as well. So I get to have a pretty diverse population Mm -hmm. I work with, with ages and with like ethnic backgrounds and religion. So it's been pretty great. And you'd mentioned like before we started recording uh, or like the email thing that we went back and forth on. Um, that a large percentage of the people you're working with, again, English is not their native language, their first language. So how is that navigated? Do you have like bilingual people or interpreters that are there with you? Or I just, just curious how that works, like in the moment when you're talking to someone that doesn't, you know, is English isn't their first language. It has been pretty difficult, actually. Um, I'm organizing right now with a Latinx community organization in Pittsburgh. And, you know, we're trying to figure out times that work to have a translator there, an interpreter Mm -hmm. with me during those trainings. Luckily, QPR does have a Spanish version of it. So I am comfortable doing, and I've had people be comfortable with me doing it in English, but then showing that Spanish presentation just because sometimes it's some words they know, some words they don't. So it just kind of helps break up any like confusion while I'm actually talking about everything. Because you go a bit more in depth during the actual trainings and what's on those slides. Right, right, right. But I do allow that. Um, It has been a bit more difficult with populations that aren't as comfortable talking about suicide. Um, So we have focused a bit more on working with, you know, higher up individuals, these community organizations, rather than the individual themselves. That way they can kind of manage that disconnect between talking about mental health and like kind of what to do with it, Mm -hmm. which has been really important to me is, you know, how do we make this training accessible to people? But also, how do we talk about it? And we don't only bring up, you know, those those traditional forms of mental health care that, you know, we really focus on in, in the West and in the U.S. A lot of these groups don't even have a word for suicide or, you know, their words 
kind of like mean other things and you know they're not comfortable with it they don't want to go to a doctor they don't want to see a therapist specifically so navigating that has been pretty difficult at some point um but i got used to it very quickly um, because i made sure to do research and make sure i'm talking to these members of the community and that that this training is you know understanding of their experience as well yeah i mean it's difficult even just again with me i do use mental health uh you know some of the topics we cover because we cover a variety of mental health challenges people might be experiencing but i have some lived experience with some of these things and i can get you know emotional at times uh so it's sometimes difficult to talk about suicide you know, I, I like to joke I'm from Kentucky, so I barely speak English, but generally there's not a language <laughs> barrier. But where you're having these difficult conversations and there's an added level of, am I sure they're understanding exactly what I'm saying about a topic that's difficult to talk about anyway? Yeah. So I just imagine that is a challenge. And I just appreciate you putting the work and the effort because it's so it's so valuable. And, it's yeah. you know, maybe it's a population people don't think about as much. But obviously, you know, there are stressors in their lives and they have things that they're worried about and we want to make them safe and comfortable and welcome here as, as much as anyone else. Exactly. So you, we talked a little bit briefly about Squirrel Hill uh, Health Center. So tell me a little bit more about it. In addition to what you do with them, like what is their general mission statement if you have that? Like what, what do they do besides QPR trains? They are an integrated care model. Pretty much their mission is to offer care to people no matter their status, whether they are a full citizen or not, um, whether or not they have insurance. Um, a lot of times we have people who can't pay to get treatment and we have like a sliding scale. Sometimes we do stuff for very, very um, inexpensive rates. Um, we also make sure to have that integrated model because sometimes, especially, so we offer um, interpretation services. They can be in person or they can be over the phone for like the telehealth things. And that is really hard to find. I know in Pittsburgh, at least, not every organization has that equipment or has the money to be able to afford interpretation. And a lot of people aren't comfortable with it. So that's a major draw to our facility specifically. It is very uncomfortable for people whenever they, you know, don't recognize the person that they're talking to. They're having to jump back and forth because sometimes, you know, oh, I reached out to this group, but they actually don't have what I need. So having one place to do the dental the physical health stuff and the mental health stuff is like just a great option for them. Um, yeah. And we get a lot of people at this specific location that I work at. They have multiple different locations and yeah, I don't know. It is great to see, like they know the community very well. Um, we have a lot of different connections that I've done through, you know, some community members like, Oh, they've gone to this location. And like, this mm-hmm. is a community group that I can go and do these trainings for. So it's been really great kind of working with a smaller health center especially one that cares a lot about the patient's experience. So you mentioned that they hadn't had a AmeriCorps service member for like a year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, are there, is there currently another one or are you the only one there? I was just wondering like if you had a partner, like I, I'm fortunate to have a AmeriCorps partner where I work. Yeah, I am the only one here for this, which I know I did not know that people had more than one member until we do our meetings every month. And I was like, oh, there's multiple people there, which I think for the population I have, it would be helpful. So, like sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's unmanageable. I have not worked with a gigantic amount of people, but I've worked with a large amount of groups. So, Mm. you know, sometimes I'm doing trainings for like 35 people versus trainings for like six people. And I've gotten a lot of connections within like local governments as well, which has been great. But these tend to be smaller pools of individuals. But I like doing them that way so that I Mm -hmm. can kind of get a bigger span 
um, like a larger audience of kind of who's learning about this. So I've worked with people who work in schools. I've done traffic guards. Um, I do people who work in like immigration services, like homelessness and a lot of social work aspects mm -hmm. kind of come into play, especially since I work with social workers. And I've also done students as well. So yeah, I, I don't think I've done like the most trainings. I already have a, like 143 individuals I've trained. I ain't bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's been really great. And I was really worried about not being able to reach that number, but it has yeah. not been hard. Um, I'm slowing down for the rest of December and sure. I'm kind of picking it back up because a lot of organizations, especially around Christmas time or Hanukkah, I think just started today, actually, they have a lot of stuff that they're trying to figure out. Right. So. There's a lot of things going on at the end of the year. Um, you know, there's just, it's hard to fit in those types of trainings. Again, I work yeah. within a school. So I imagine basically we, we're off for two weeks. Like uh, yeah. after next week, <laughs> I'm off until after the new year. So I have found, well, one thing I was just going to mention, again, my brain, you know, going different directions. So the, the, the school that I serve at only exists because our principal is really good at writing grant proposals. Like okay. he's just like, he's an exceptionally talented grant writer. So he has a high success rate of getting funded for different projects. Mm -hmm. And in our school only exists because he's been able to do that and get federal funding for our school that we do. Uh, so basically he's written mental health grants and got him funding. And he uses that funding to pay the AmeriCorps because there is a fee that yeah. the so sites have to pay to AmeriCorps for us to serve as volunteers. It's, you know, the, there's some the language elements. Basically, we are volunteers serving and we get a stipend. We're not workers who get a paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. So basically, that's one of the reasons, like one of the reasons why we can have two is he's just got really good. He's just really good at getting those grants and <laughs> he uses those grants to pay for us. But yeah, we've done groups. Uh, thir we, I, think, I think we actually had one group of 30, which is the maximum you can do online uh, mm -hmm. over Zoom for youth mental health. And we've done as small as three before. Yeah. And I will say I much prefer larger groups if we're going to do them in person. Mm -hmm. I just, again, I, I feel like I navigate Zoom pretty well, but it's difficult yeah, when you're trying to like, when I'm in a room, I can feel the energy. I can look around. I can make eye contact. I can see if people are interested or not, or if I'm losing them, or maybe it's time for a break. It's so much harder to do that on Zoom. I think with like, you know, 10, 12 people, I think Zoom is great. Uh, even smaller is, is better. But I think more than like 15 people on Zoom, it's it's very, which is why you have to have two people if you're doing a Zoom class yeah. for more than 15. But I still, I just, I prefer to be in person if I've got more than like 10 or 11 people, it's just my my style, I guess. So, yeah. but again, beggars choosers, if people want to do the class and they can't be there. <laughs> like I did a class, I'm in Kentucky and we did a class with a group in Texas. Uh, oh, wow, just, cool. It just kind of worked out that way. They knew someone who knew somebody who reached out to us. And so we handled their course for them. I want them to have the training. I'm willing to do it, but it was still, I would have preferred to be there in person. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is challenging. My biggest group I've had was 35, but five of those people, or maybe about six of them had already had the training. They okay. were like, I had done it the day prior with them and then they came and kind of helped me to moderate, especially because oh, okay, okay. it was people that might not have like perfect English. So they mm -hmm. might just need someone there if they had other questions. And also just to make sure that if there were any questions coming in, because they expected a lot of them, that they could kind of handle those while I kept presenting. I do always make sure to tell people like, you know what, put them in the chat or if it's really important, like speak up with um, like during my training, that's completely OK, because in person, obviously, it's so much easier to tell if someone's about to ask a question right. and like I'm having to present a presentation and be on Zoom and be making sure like my audio and it, it can get very hectic and it, I have like major anxiety um, disorder. So sometimes it can 
like really hype that up right before yep. but it gets it starts to lower like halfway through the presentation you get really used to it my first one i was so stressed i stumbled the entire time oh. and i was like oh that was so bad and then i had actually known someone else who knew someone who did the training and they were like oh they said you did so good and i was like oh Oh, that's so good to hear. I was like, are they lying? Yeah. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> As someone who also has some anxiety issues, uh, I'm saying like, I, I get very anxious before any trainings, but usually once I start talking, like just literally, hi, how are you doing? My name's, you know, like once I just kind of get into that rote introductory stage, it all goes away. But I've been doing presentations in both hobbies and professional for mm -hmm. a very long time, uh, longer than <laughs> I have to admit in some cases, but I still get nervous before every one of them. Yeah, I, I was um, the vice president of one of my clubs in my senior year. And I think that greatly prepared me for this because I was kind of in charge of like talking to everyone every single time. You know, I had to just be like, even on days where I was not in the mood to talk, I had to make sure I was remaining positive and having that good energy. So I try to make sure I kind of use some of those skills during my trainings, especially if you're doing them online, you have to keep people engaged. And if I'm sitting here talking like this, they're going to be like, I don't really like this girl. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it, I don't want to say it's, it's not like fake, but there's a heightened energy that yeah. I feel like if you're doing a Zoom training, you if you're normally a seven, you need to be an eight or a nine on Zoom yes. to capture their their interest and keep people going. I, I feel the same way. It does help. Again, I have a co-trainer so we can like bounce back and forth. Mm -hmm. And like, if I do forget something or if I just, you know, I'm struggling, she can jump in or if she wants me to take over, you know, I, I like the dynamic of having a, a co-trainer mm -hmm. there for, for lots of different reasons. Uh, but you kind of mentioned like the, the, the situation being like the leader of your club helped prepare you for what you're doing now. So I'm going to segue that into uh, how is AmeriCorps helping you prepare for what you're going to do next? Like, have you thought about, are you going to be a second termer? Are you looking for post-grad or post what, what's next on your agenda after AmeriCorps? I would love to be a second term AmeriCorps like service member. I just have not looked into it yet. And I feel okay. like I should start. I am applying to graduate school right now. I'm trying to get into a social work program and it's a dual program that also has a public health master's. Um, and this job, I don't know if it's so much I think it is the QPR trainings and the individuals I work with at my um, at the host site, where a lot of them focus on not just that mental health aspect, but every other aspect in a person's life. And, you know, QPR discusses those behavioral changes, some verbal cues, and then they also go into situational clues. So it'll discuss, you know, if people have lost someone recently, if they lost a job, if they've been expelled, if they've been, you know, put into jail or some type of other big life changing event can sometimes trigger these different like symptoms that people have. And I've learned that I don't like only focusing on the mental health aspect. I really like working with all those other aspects. Um, and it kind of showed me, you know, working with the integrative care model at the host site and then also doing it every day with my trainings, how much I care about every aspect to a person's physical and mental well-being. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of why I've leaned more into social work. And I'm really hoping to go into that field because to me, um, I do struggle with suicidal ideation and I've had like suicidal behavior before and luckily I'm okay now, but a lot of it was triggered by health problems I had had, or it was living situations at that time. And whenever I moved out of them or whenever I got through those periods of the bad health, my mood like significantly improved. I didn't have it as often. And, you know, with individuals I've talked to and I've worked with, they really talk about how like, you know, they lost their job and like that is what triggered all of these thoughts for them and this hopelessness that you have. So 
I really am hoping to continue either service or my education um, mm -hmm. and future career in, an, in a way that is including mental health into the conversation while also focusing on all those other aspects of um, a person's well-being. Well, I will say I'm a second termer. And at least for me, it was pretty easy because my host site wanted me back and I wanted to do it. And those are really the only two things you have to navigate. So <laughs> if, if the people at Squirrel uh, Hill Health uh, enjoy what you're doing there, it should not be a problem to sign up okay. for a second term. But I, of course, I can't make any promises. But speaking of that, um, is there anybody at your site that you would like to call out as far as like someone just help get you acclimated, like a teammate, someone that works with you, it could be your supervisor there. But is there anybody or any groups that you'd like to just give a little quick shout out to on the podcast? Yeah, I have three who all work in the same group. Um, shout out to Blair, Grace, and Caitlin. Blair especially um, has like really taken me under her wing. And I was so anxious when I first came into this job because everyone else had like, you know, they already were a licensed social worker or they had some type of master's. And Blair was probably the closest in age and also closest in education status as me. And, you know, she was probably my saving grace every day. But Grace and Caitlin have really helped me with the contacts as well. Um, they are awesome and really engaged with the community around here, which was helpful with me being in Philadelphia for so long. I had not been in Pittsburgh for like four years. And then COVID mm -hmm. was also a, impacted that as well. Whenever I was sure. home, I wasn't leaving the house. So I was not really getting to understand what was happening in the city. And with their help, I've really gotten close with people. Um, I've gotten to understand some of the challenges that are a bit unique to Pittsburgh um, that I did not have in Philadelphia. So they definitely helped me the most through that. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you giving them a shout out. Hopefully they'll listen and they'll, they'll hear that. <laughs> I'll go force them to. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're kind of getting close to the end here. But one of the things I always like to ask people is, you know, so how long have you been in, in America now? How far into your service are you? I started in June. That's six months. Yeah, yeah six, months. six months. Then, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and a normal contract is it's 10 months of service. Mm -hmm. So you're over halfway. Uh, but if you could go back and tell Sarah something in May, right before Sarah joins AmeriCorps or gets really started in the program, is there anything that any advice that you would give to yourself? I think I would say that it's not as scary whenever you actually are doing this. Um, it, it felt very frightening at first to be in a, you know, especially working in a health center setting. I'm working with a lot of professionals and it's very intimidating. And also having to go into a community that you kind of feel like you don't understand exactly what they're going through. It was just very hard for me to not have my anxiety take over and really lessen my experience in any way. Um, but it has not been bad. Everyone's really helpful. Um, I have multiple different levels of people I can contact to, whether it be people directly from AmeriCorps or people from my host site, which has been great. I kind of didn't expect to have the ability to kind of jump between both with who I'm talking to or getting some type of advice from. So that's been really awesome that they kind of help create some type of communication or community between the members who are serving at the time, especially because I'm not in a, I don't think that there's any other one specifically under this group who's in Pennsylvania. So I was a little bit nervous, like, oh, like no one's going to talk to me. Everyone else is kind of in these other states or they have another person that they're working with. So I did feel a bit alone at first, but it hasn't been hard to like make conversation or speak up during the meetings or along those lines. So I guess just right. not be as anxious, especially as someone with, with major anxiety. Um, right. It's not that bad. And you'll Sometimes get Sometimes easier it. said than done. But yeah, yes. I, well, I'm really glad you've been able to navigate it. I, you know, I similarly didn't really know what I was getting into. Mm -hmm. It was just something because I work at the school that I also serve at, they were like, hey, this is a thing you can do to help. And I was like, sure, 
you know, sign me up, right? Uh, <laughs> but I found the the uh, the service to be very rewarding. Um, you know, obviously the, the people at the school didn't know my personal background history mm-hmm. with some of the topics, uh, but I found a lot of fulfillment in being part of these trainings, and I just really enjoy doing the trainings, and I just enjoy knowing that I could be having a very positive impact in some people's lives and that those people, you know, impact other people in their lives and just on and on and on and on. Um, so I'm, I'm very glad that I've kind of fell my way into AmeriCorps and I, I definitely feel like uh, I enjoy my time here. And, it, and unfortunately for me, it is ending fairly soon because you can only do two service terms uh, oh, okay. and I'm about halfway through my second one. But, uh, but I, I'm not, I might find some ways to stick around if they'll let me <laughs> But so one of the things I always like to ask people is I, you knew we were going to talk. So we, we emailed each other a few days ago and we're like, hey, you know, we're going to talk today. So was there anything that you thought of, like either an anecdote or just something you were like, I really hope I get a chance to talk about this particular thing. And I haven't asked you a question yet that would have allowed you just pretend I did and, and answer it however you would. So if there's just something you were hoping you get to say today. Feel free. There is one quote that I want to share from the QPR trainings. I just have to pull it up because I always say it a little bit wrong that I, I love telling people because a lot of people, I don't think people don't respect the presentation. I just don't think people understand how important their role is when addressing suicide specifically. You know, a lot of people aren't going to these professionals to get help immediately. They're showing signs within like their personal relationships at work, at school. And, you know, every single person has a major role to play here. And I think that individuals during this training will have to think, oh, I'm just a random community member. Like, what can Mm -hmm. I do? And it can also feel really heavy on them to have this responsibility that they're taking on. But this one quote is kind of what I always explain to them where I'm trying to reiterate how important the individual is during this training. And, you know, you don't have to be a mental health professional. You don't have to be a doctor to be able to ask someone and help someone through a crisis. It says we must train hundreds to save one, thousands to save hundreds and millions to save thousands, because it's really not a perfect, you know, this is going to end all suicide um, and people are never going to be sad again. But it's showing like even the smallest impact matters. Um, And I always make sure to reiterate during my trainings that, you know, maybe you'll talk to somebody and all that you'll do is offer them hope for five minutes. And in my opinion, that's a win. I don't think Mm -hmm. even if it has an an outcome that you did not want to happen, you making that person feel better for five minutes out of their day is an amazing thing to do. And it's something that's really hard to do. So I always try to encourage people that any type of effort you're putting into here is showing someone that you're caring. And that's really the most important part. As we bring this week's episode to a close, I just want to once again say thank you to Sarah for joining me and sharing a little bit about her experience with the AmeriCorps and her work she's done with QPR at Squirrel Hill Health Center. I hope you've enjoyed listening today, and I hope you'll join us again next time when we have another amazing guest on to chat with. As a reminder, if you are interested in becoming a service member or have any questions about service, or perhaps your organization would like to become a host site, you will find information and links to follow in our show notes. 